This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 78, part B. Listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Courtney Bickert, a proven organizational leader and stand-up comedian. If you haven't already checked out part A of the show, be sure to do that first. Let's jump into the conversation with Courtney. And I was wondering about the application during difficult negotiations and how to use the humor to kind of transform that into a more collaborative and successful endeavor. Do you have an example like that that you could share? Yes, well, one, I love the the corn green. Welcome to the daytime. Yeah, I love sure. that example because uh, that he was walking into a very difficult situation. One example I have of when I used it was I was in charge of leading a strategic planning re- retreat for our whole business development team. For it was a five day retreat actually, and part of the mandate was we were going to have to make cuts. And we were going to have to make budget cuts. And so going in, it was sort of ominous and things had been tough at the organization and there was a lot of tension and people weren't necessarily looking forward to spending five days, part of which was going to be to making really difficult decisions that had a lot of impact on the team. And so I actually started it with, we started it with some humor and some of that first exercise, but I actually started it with the joke exercise that we will do at the end of this, which is providing people the opportunity to write and tell their own joke and making it easy by providing sample setups and they can come up with the punchline. And we actually started with that. And what that did was it gave people the opportunity to say things that were on their mind, but in a very safe way and in a funny way. And from the moment one, then we also already had some inside jokes that we could use to talk about this crummy situation, but in a joking way. And that was really helpful. And we would hang those up on the wall. We also had other jokes on the wall and people would would hang those up throughout the week. And what it actually started was a trend that we could at any time when things were getting really uncomfortable or people were starting to argue or get emotional and activated was somebody could just say, well, did you hear the one about, or a guy walked into a bar and it would stop everything. And it was a kind of an accepted because it was part of the inside joke of the group. It was a way that we could just socially acceptably reboot and restart. And so that was an experience where it worked really well. I think you know, it's it's hard to know. It's not always, not all conflict situations obviously call for humor. And so, again, not trying to force humor in a conflict situation, especially a particularly risky one. But it can 
in in less risky situations, perhaps diffuse things. I had an example where we were going across the border from Kazakhstan to Kyrgyzstan, and we were stopped by the border guards, and they wanted a bribe. We weren't allowed to give any money, and we, we didn't want to and wouldn't have. So we were refusing the bribe, kind of pretending like I didn't understand any Russian. And finally, he was like, really, one of the guards was so frustrated and was like, don't you have any magazines or anything? At least some magazines, like magazines with pictures. And so I opened the trunk and I handed him like three economists. <laughs> there's some there's some light reading there's some pictures and he actually got that he'd been got and he thought it was very funny it let us through so there are moments where it can work and it just reading the social cues so a lot of your example externally focused as you work with teams on in like organizational transformation you see the same thing work. I mean, can you point to effective leaders and managers of teams who are able to introduce humor um, naturally into how they direct and focus a team to accomplish things? And it, it increases productivity, better results. I mean, does it work internally as well? Oh, it works um, a, a great deal internally. Personally, I have used it in my own leadership roles and with my own teams quite a, a bit. Um, the example I gave of the strategic planning, that was actually with an internal team. Uh, I worked at that organization and was part of the team, led the team. And I used it a lot in, in the Balkans. It's something, it's very much part of my leadership style, but I've also seen and and learned a great deal from other leaders that I've seen either in consulting positions who really created a culture of humor, fun, laughter, creativity, safety. Absolutely. And not only does it work internally, I think for organizations, some aspect of it is essential because it is so important for morale, organizational and individual health creativity. We know that retention is increased in those types of environments. So, and it's also proven to be really effective when an organization has a fun, fun-loving, humorful, laughterful culture that seeps into their client relations as well. And they have a lot more success with their clients. I was just, as you talk, I just, I can think back to folks I worked for who, again, just had, whether it's a good sense of humor or, again, just kind of great insights and observations, but folks who who could introduce that. Well, I loved working for those folks. Those were people that kind of enjoyed showing up for in the morning. Right. And I was more than willing to go the extra mile when it just felt a little more, I don't know, lighthearted or, yeah. Absolutely. And there are studies that prove that to be true and people stay in mm -hmm. those jobs longer. They are more productive, sales increase. So these are all proven in various studies from Stanford to Harvard to you name it. So, yeah. Now, I know there is there is a fear about how negotiators can ensure they're striking the right balance between using humor while ensuring the negotiation remains professional and respectful. How do you kind of respond to that fear? And how do you coach folks to say, yeah, there are some risks around using humor. Here are some, here are some guidelines you should just kind of be aware of. Absolutely. So, 
Of course, in any professional setting, negotiation or otherwise, we have to be professional and respectful. And humor and laughter by their nature are in no way unprofessional. They can be very professional, but there is obviously unprofessional humor. And so we want to avoid that at all costs. And, you know, it's pretty commonsensical. Don't make fun of somebody. Don't laugh at somebody. Keep it PG. Stay away from racially charged, culturally charged jokes, things that are jokes about a society or a group of people based on stereotypes or those kinds of things. So pretty common sense. Keep jokes. If you're laughing at anybody, make sure it's yourself. And self-deprecating humor can be very, very powerful and create a lot of empathy. And again, there it's common sense, just so long as you're not sharing like oddly inappropriate (laughs) stories (laughs) or things that are embarrassing or will make people feel uncomfortable. So I think in terms of humor, it's pretty common sense what's going to go. And the only real risk, if you're following those guidelines and and not using mean-spirited humor or inappropriate humor, there really are few risks to it. I mean, what are the biggest risks? They're not going to get it. Right. I mean, stand-ups, you get crickets all the time. That's part of the (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes your joke falls flat and nobody gets it or didn't think it was funny. Well, that's A, a great learning opportunity. That's why failure is so critical for for comedy and for all things business, actually, is to have failed and then redo (laughs) but better or different. It also, though, let's say nobody laughs. It's okay to say, oh, I was trying to say something funny. That in and of itself is opening <laughs> it's funny. yourself. That's opening yourself <laughs> up because then people can be like, what was funny about that? And then yeah. you can explain and now already you've had a, a shared experience. So I don't really see a ton of risks. I think the the only other risk I can think of is when when humor is used disingenuously, like when it's just really out of character. Like, hmm. Yeah. I did work with someone who was like, well, maybe I'll just start every meeting with a joke, every team meeting or all staff meeting. And I was like, no, no, Good. Was, all right. not you <laughs> like people would be like, what is happening? Um, so as long as it's, it's, you know, genuine, I don't see a lot of risks in it. Yeah. One of the things I loved about teaching via zoom was all my students would would like uh, mute their mics. And so when I told a joke, I could just laugh at my own joke <laughs> To let them know it had been a joke because I wasn't sure they were going to know it was, but it was very natural because everyone else already muted anyway. So I couldn't hear whether they're laughing. So I was like, my, my, my one story from teaching uh, Courtney, which you may appreciate was we're talking about getting nose, how do you get past nose? And one student says, professor, how do you deal with rejection? To which I then responded, do I look like somebody who's had a lot of rejection 
in their life. <laughs> and everyone laughed. But anyways, so the student said yes. Well, I, I think Nolan's about ready to say yes, you are somebody who has, has had a lot of leverage. Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> uh, so speaking of self-deprecating humor, how do you teach and train people like us who aren't naturally very funny and not train stand-ups to practice approaches to incorporating humor in? And Nolan, as you said that, I can see Courtney saying, oh, you guys are funny, remember? Because it's I know, you both very funny. We all have humor. <laughs> It's just different. Okay. Yeah, it's, different. it's just oh, different. So you're really funny. <laughs> First of all, I do think both of you are very funny naturally, <laughs> but I don't think it's so much about teaching people, teaching people to be funny. There are things we can do to get in touch with our own sense of humor because we all have a sense of humor and some of that is really just a discipline of curiosity and observation. Because if you think about it, something funny or curious happens in your life several, multiple times every day. And so part of just honing, like anything, it's a skill you practice. And so just becoming more observational will start to become a habit, even take notes of things that you saw, test them out on people, talk about them, get in the habit of that. And that's one thing you can do. Another thing, and we can dive into this, I think it's really important from a humor perspective, as well as a leadership perspective, is to understand how people perceive you. And to use that as a starting point for how you lead in general, how you present in general, can even inform how you might dress for certain things, what kind of information you provide, and certainly what types of humor are going to come most naturally. And what we call this in comedy is your persona. So you see that all successful comedians, they have a persona. And, you know, Al Franken is the ground for Jeff Foxworthy is the Southern Hick or whatever it might be. They all have a persona that they've adopted and it's very purposeful. And the thing that's important about a persona is that it's believable hmm. and likable. And there is something genuine about it. So if Jeff Foxworthy were to try to be an Al Franken, that probably wouldn't be very believable. And so there are ways to, to get at that. And I'm not suggesting that we all become actors and adopt like <laughs> a personas in our, our work. It's basically about understanding what's believable, likable about you and using that to, in your leadership and in your communication styles. So one of the exercises, and we can dive into it right now if you guys want. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. a persona exercise. So it's very simple. I've actually, in terms of workshops, I've used this as, like, we did it with um, a large international NGO was brought all their people together for various different teams. We used it as a speed dating kind of exercise can be used in a lot of different ways. Also working one-on-one -on -one coaching with a, a leader or an executive we use for that. But the exercise is very simple. It's basically take a 
couple people and give them some silly questions to ask about other people. You don't have to know each other to do this. So it can be any kinds of questions I like to use, for instance, Hey, Aram, if Nolan had a summer job in high school or last summer, what kind of job would that have been? What did he do? It can be if, you know, Nolan, if Aram were in a movie, what kind of movie would it be? If he had the starring role, what kind of role would that be? What might the movie be called or his character be named? If he were in a crime drama, which character would he be? Would he be the criminal? medical examiner, the cop, etc. So we can play that for a bit and then I'll talk about how we use that. So Yeah, so do I get the answer to the summer job in high school? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I'm looking at Nolan right now and I'm thinking if he took his coat off, he'd be a great Mr. Clean. Um, <laughs> but, but, anyway, but but what I was gonna say, because I have worked with him, is he would have been like, he would have been that high school kid with a lawnmower with like a trailer of attachments hooked on, right? With rakes and blowers and everything you imagine. And he'd be out there and he'd be hitting every neighbor up and down the street to pay him, pay him well, and to take care of their yard. And he'd have, again, everything imaginable to landscape. So totally funny you said that. And... Oh six, oh seven. I lived at Fort Hood at the time where the entire post deployed at one time. And so there's just basically a bunch of majority women and their families at the houses. So me and my buddy literally walked up and down the street <laughs> with the lawnmower. I had the, the can of gas sitting on the lawnmower. I had the weed eater. I mean, everything. We'd go house to house oh, funny. on it. So you nailed it. <laughs> Courtney, I didn't know that either. You guys had to trust me. Yep. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that. It's just, yeah, that's you it. It. <laughs> so if Aram were to be a feature, I would have to say knowing Aram that he would be Probably a Wookiee in a star, like the feature only about a Wookiee for an hour and a half. Wow. And it would be him communicating and just being the star lead of a Wookiee because uh, he's totally a Star Wars nerd. So um, what summer job might he have? Mm, Aram's a great, phenomenal teacher. And so trying to think of a role of which he would have been teaching in some sort of capacity. Um, maybe he was a swim teacher. Maybe, but <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> and not swimming. Aaron, yeah, no, you look, no, you're um, everything. I've seen you in person. Both yeah. of both you no. and I are no swimmers. It's no joke there. A lot of kids are going to drown if, uh, if, if they're taking swim <laughs> lessons from me, uh, either because they're, they're not feeling well from having seen me in my swimsuit, um, <laughs> or, or just lack of skill. But Hey, listen, if you were a film, if, so if Nolan was in a film, I thought he'd be doc Brown in back to the future. Minus, minus the oh, hair, oh, hair, oh, minus oh, the hair. Oh, All right. Very but Nolan, Nolan, always has these great ideas right and i can imagine walking into his office and like plugging into something right like like happens in the movie and like strumming the blown out and and you know i could just i could see nolan coming up with some time machine sort of thing too so that's that's who i had you pegged as but i could see you aram i do see the teacher like i could see you if I'm thinking of a TV show, like I could definitely see you as one of the leading characters who is a teacher or a doctor and hmm. sort of a family drama. I could see that for sure. Hmm. And I also, Nolan, was thinking when Summer Job, I was thinking something similar, like you were the kid who was like the handyman 
kid for like to some extent for sure and going back to the crime movie so aram's role for sure is you know there's usually like the the good guy the bad guy but then there's always the other like mastermind guy that never gets uncovered until like the last three minutes that really convinced the bad guy to go and he like ultimately wins i'm thinking of like the den of thieves or yeah that's you, Aram, the mastermind behind the scene that's orchestrating everything and then ends up just dominating everyone. I always like a good plot twist at the end, like usual suspects or memento. I always like that little plot twist at the end. You're like, oh, didn't see that coming. Now, Courtney, for you, yeah. I see you as kind of this detective type, like a sleuth. Oh, okay. I can see I can see you in your own detective series. OK, I can see that. I can see that. What was my summer job? Ooh, summer job. Hmm personable i don't know waiting tables i mean my wife's my my daughter's working at a at a a, i could see that i could see like just engage with people like really caring about getting their orders right and then when they when they don't come out right having a little chuckle about it right right yes you you really did want the cheese on that burger what are you talking about (laughs) okay okay i can see that no you want some fries with that (laughs) i can see that i like that so what is the point of something like this? Well, it basically gives a sense of some of your superpowers that you can play off mm-hmm. of when you're negotiating or when you're planning your presentation. So if, for instance, somebody sees you as the Doc Brown, the crazy scientist, you know, that's something to play with because you could be the ideas guy in a negotiation and that would be believable. Or if you're giving a presentation and you're sort of doing it in a bit of a wacky style that would be believable or at the same time if people easily see you as the the fixer right the the person who has all the tools and comes and fixes your lawn and that's a powerful place to be as well and to think about well they see you as a problem solver they see you as someone who comes in and has all the tools and gets things done and gets the stuff done that you need to do and that's those are things you can play on in the way that you present yourself. And knowing that is is helpful in coming to the table with those characteristics and those superpowers in mind. And similarly, you know, if people see you as the teacher or uh, as the go-to person, so then you can play more of that teacher role. People will come to you for advice or you can play that role in a negotiation, mm-hmm. providing information, be the, the provider of information in the negotiation. And people will see that as legitimate and believable. Hmm. And I can be a spy, which my whole family thinks I'm a spy. (laughs) (laughs) I can be the sleuth. That's like a fan. I know. I'm one of those people like I was in London when the liquid bombs. (laughs) (laughs) You left Russia the week before. I left Russia, the Soviet Union, the week before the coup. I I mean... Basically, that that happens all the time. So my family is convinced I'm a spy. But uh, those are also like being the waiter, being the waitress. That's actually something good to know. You know, people see you as you can serve them, but you're going to also, you know, get along and be conversational. And so playing Mm -hmm. with that as I present myself to groups or teams is is good to know. So that's the purpose of that exercise. (laughs) 
And fun. I think it can be, fun. it's also just a really fun way to get to, to know people. Now, Courtney, if, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you for a workshop, um, how do, how do they, how do they track down laughing matters? How do they, how do they find kind of find you? They find me. There is a website laughing matters.com. There's also my email, okay. which is C as in Courtney Bickert. B-I-C-K-E-R-T at Gmail. Great. We'll make sure both of those get get tied in. Um, now, I want to kind of ask you for a final thought you might leave with our listeners about how they might, you know, bring laughter <laughs> to moments of conflict. And I also know you kind of wanted to wrap up with one more little kind of sample exercise. So, you know, dealer's choice on this one, answer the question first, then walk us through the exercise. Or if you want to walk us through your little exercise and then kind of give a final thought up to you. Okay. Let's do the exercise first. Great. And we'll do final thoughts. So, all right. This is drum roll. This is when we get to write and tell our own jokes. And first of all, it's really fun to write and tell your own jokes. Second of all, this, as I mentioned earlier, I used it in a lot of workshops that I've done, facilitated or been part of or led. And it's a great way to get information and issues out on the table in a fun and safe way. It's also really powerful in getting your brain to start thinking. So as we go through this, even if some of the stuff we come up with isn't funny, ha-ha funny, or super on the spot, you're going to see, and participants in any workshop will see how it gets your brain starting to, to think differently and to look for the unexpected or to look for what's not so obvious or what's going to be the surprise. So what I do in this exercise is prompt with some setups and then we throw out some punchlines. Mm, right. So I sent you some earlier. So some of the setups for this, they're very simple. They can be anything. I was like, I knew I nailed that negotiation when, or I knew I blew that negotiation when, or, you know, I was so surprised because I thought he was coming in here because he really wanted X and it turns out he just wanted Y. Or anything along those lines. Okay. Well, I like that last one. I hadn't thought about that last one. I thought he was coming in for a seven-course meal, and all he wanted was appetizers. <laughs> that was good. That's really good. I was trying to think of this one earlier, and I was like, I thought he was coming in to something really dramatic. Like, I thought he was coming in here to... You know, fight the whole new benefits agreement, and turns out all he wanted was world peace. <laughs> <laughs> These are difficult. So I'm using uh, ChatGPT. I'm using ChatGPT. I don't know if that's allowed or not. You can make up your own. You can. <laughs> Let's see what. That's, okay, that's we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go with it. So I thought he was coming for an answer, but all he ended up was a one-way ticket to Confusionville. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> ChatGPT. I knew I crushed that standoff when the cat winked first. Ooh. <laughs> Not very good. I thought it was Let's so see. funny. I thought I crushed that negotiation when I took a shower afterwards. <laughs> As generated by ChatGPT, I knew I crushed that negotiation when they started offering me snacks to stay in chat. <laughs> I like that. 
I like that. <laughs> so we can keep that short, but you can see how that one gets the, the mind to start working in, in different ways. Two, you could see how a group would keep playing with this potentially for hours or days. Like you could see it coming up on the last mm. day again. No, no, I have it. I've got it. I knew I pressed that negotiation went. So you can see how it can also easily become an inside joke. And inside jokes, by the way, are very, very powerful mm. tools. Well, awesome. Courtney, thank you so much. Just a wonderful set here of episodes. Uh, and we're so grateful for your time. Thank you for the humor you bring. And thank you for how the work applies to conflict resolution. I really like the persona piece. I liked how you framed it. It's not some artificial character we're creating. It's believable. It's like, well, it's about us. It's you. It's authenticity, right? And then using that in our leadership, in our negotiations. So let me just say thank you so much for the insights. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. And a couple final thoughts. One yeah. very important tip is George Carlin. When you're using humor, don't sweat the petty stuff. And don't pet the sweaty stuff. <laughs> um, but also, just to remember, I uh, wanted to point this out. Laughter, when we were talking about physiology, laughter is infectious. Hmm. Actually, it's like yawning. So that's why you do find yourself sitting in that lecture hall laughing together with the people next to you. And you have no idea at that point what you're laughing about. It's because it is infectious. So remember that and, and use it. And I will... End with Mark Twain. Mm. Humor is mankind's greatest blessing. Mm. Beautiful. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Courtney. Thank you so much. Yep. That is it for us on today's podcast. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.